going going live we're doing it live welcome to a another episode of before coffee how exciting and we are going in with our new story so today on before coffee Pride and scorn as Bulgaria unveils EU's highest flagpole. Israeli president to meet with President Biden amid U.S. unease with Netanyahu. Dutch. The 105th edition of the Four Days March started with a tour through Betua. And wildfires burn in Athens. UK relaxes visa rules for foreign builders amid Brexit shortage. And in Good Twos Newsday, deforestation fell 26% in Colombia and Amazon last year. Today on June, uh, July 18, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. Oh, right. We're here with our first news story. Right. I need to reset the audio. There we go. Okay, yeah. first news story, which is about Bulgaria and its giant flagpole. I know it's not Wacky Wednesday, but we got some wacky news already. Uh, this right. is from Agents France Press. A soaring mast in the mountains of southern Bulgaria has made the EU... Horse country, the home of the bloc's highest flagpole, filling some with pride and drawing scorn from others. Nationalism and populism are on the rise in the Balkan nation, where many strongly, oh, where many remain strongly Russophile despite Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. Oh, come on, Bulgaria, what are you doing? Go join them. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the immense uh, 1,110 square meter flag meant to symbolize Bulgaria's territory of 111,000 square meters was hoisted up on the record-breaking 111 meter pole last week in a forest meadow in Rodopa Mountains, in the Rodopa Mountains. With it, Bulgaria takes the flagpole, flagpole crown from Finland, which has a 100 meter and one Wait, what has has a hundred meter one? Okay, why did they write it that that it wrote it like a hundred dash meter one instead of just one oh one? Okay. Hundred meter one, though it's not nearly touched the heights of some outside Europe, they're almost twice as high. I bet America has like the highest flagpole in the world. Um If you put a flag on top of the Washington Monument, does that con- is that considered a flagpole? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, this won't make Bulgarians Bulgarians richer, but it will raise people's spirits, said Simone Karokolev, 45, the organizer of the annual folklore festival held at the site below the Peak of Rosen, whose foundation is behind the project. Karokolev raised 500,000 euros, or 429 pounds, in donations for the poll in a campaign embraced by Bulgaria's pro-Russian president Rumen Radev. 
Local media said a number of public companies are approached on Radev's behalf to donate money for the mass on the mountain meadow where the festival is held. The campaign was widely mocked on social media, with a meme depicting the president swinging on the pole going viral. While many said a country racked with high immigration and crumbly health systems had more urgent concerns than collecting funds for a massive flag mast. Pol- political scientist Ognian Minchev lamented how patriotism has hijacked, been hijacked by leaders who measure national pride by the flight of a flag mast, quasi-nationalist dominated by Russian propaganda. A recent Open Society Foundation found, uh, Foundation study found Bulgaria was among the EU's countries most susceptible to Russian propaganda and disinformation. The concrete poured for the flagpole's foundation on the pristine mountain meadows and alleged irregularities within its permits also sparked calls from environmentalists to ban it. A petition against it collect thousand, collected thousands of signatures. Karol Kulev said this was undeserved hate and thanked authorities for not backing down to pressure and checks showed everything is perfectly legal. Radev criticized dishonorable attempts to d- denigrate and break this initiative. As he and Karol Kolev inaugurated the structure with shouts of Long Live Bulgaria! Several thousands of people all ages, many in national costumes, gathered for the ceremony ahead of the three-day annual festival, taking the chance to touch the gigantic flag before it went up. Yet, yes, some people don't like it, but there are flags in every country. They are one of the symbols of a nation, said Reserve Army Colonel Dimitar Mitev, 69. Nice adding that he hoped this initiative would boost patriotism. Others were less positive. I felt unwell when I saw this rod sticking out of the ground in the middle of the meadows and the surrounding forest. This is human interference in nature, said business consultant Sofia Butsosharova, 38, from the nearby town of Shepelare. Still, Thousands of phone screens light up in the sky. The cheering crowd waited for the flag to be hoisted. But when the big moment came, there was a disappointment as the lack of the breeze left it hanging listlessly from the pole. What a brilliant mm. end to the story. Okay, that's my it's short good. little stint on Bulgaria and its giant flag mast of nationality. It's a pretty flag. Very nice, pretty flag. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Renette. Okay. International diplomacy knows Israeli president to meet with Biden. And uh, if you're wondering who Israeli president is, his name is Isaac Herzog. In case you're wondering. In case anybody was wondering, they ever knew they had a president, not just prime minister, but they do. All right, this is from Michael D. Shearer of the New York Times. President Biden met with President Isaac Herzog in Israel on Tuesday at the White House. A diplomatic overture to one of America's key allies amidst tensions between the Biden administration and Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's prime minister. White House officials described the meeting with Mr. Herzog as an opportunity for Mr. Biden to strengthen an already ironclad relationship between the two countries. They said the two leaders would discuss preventing Iran from getting nuclear weapon as part of the White House called its unwavering commitment to Israel's security. 
But the declarations of mutual respect have massed strains between the two governments that have grown in recent years. As Mr. Biden has become increasingly frustrated with Mr. Netanyahu's positions on Israeli settlements and efforts to overhaul the nation's judicial, judicial system. On Monday, Biden ended months of delay in offering Mr. Netanyahu a formal visit to the United States. After the pair talked on the phone, Mr. Biden invited the Prime Minister to meet in the United States, most likely before the end of the year, though not necessarily at the White House. Tuesday visit by Mr. Herzog, whose position is in Israel's government is largely ceremonial, it could be opportunity for Biden to express his commitment to the Middle Eastern country without delivering political benefits of a White House visit to Netanyahu. Israel is a central U.S. ally in the Middle East, recipient of billions of dollars each year. White House officials said Mr. Biden planned to emphasize various cooperation, including progress towards normalization of relations with other Middle Eastern countries and diplomatic efforts with the Palestinians. Some supporters of the United States consider Mr. Herzog, who ran against Mr. Netanyahu almost a decade ago, a bridge builder whose efforts to find a middle ground with Israel's fraught political climate are welcome change from some of the more extremist elements of the country's government. But even before Tuesday, his visit was generating controversy. Several liberal lawmakers said they would boycott Mr. Herzog's planned speech to Congress on Wednesday to protest Mr. Netanyahu's government. Earlier this year, Mr. Biden called Netanyahu's cabinet one of the most extremists he had seen in decades of foreign policy engagement with Israel, in effect acknowledging the anger among many progressives with the prime minister's policy. White House officials said that on Tuesday, Mr. Biden would raise his concerns about the Israeli government's expansions of settlements, which the administration considers an impediment to it eventual two-state solution within Palestinian state alongside Israel. Officials said Mr. Biden would also express to Mr. Herzog's discomfort with Mr. Netanyahu's efforts to make changes in judicial system that critics say would undermine the power of Israel's Supreme Court. We want to see Israel be as vibrant and as viable democracy as possible, said John F. Kirby. Not John F. Kennedy. I almost said Kennedy. John F. Kirby. <laughs> for the White House National Security Council. And that means that you can build programs and reforms and changes in a way that is built on compromise. But officials also said that the president's meeting with Mr. Herzog in the Oval Office would attempt to underscore the history of friendship that's characterized the relationship between two countries since Israel's creation. As Israel celebrates its 75th anniversary, a visit will highlight our enduring partnership and friendship, a White House statement said. The two leaders will discuss opportunities to develop Israel's regional integration and create peaceful and prosperous Middle East. And there's your first story on Good Twos Newsday. Okay. Go. On my Good News Tuesday, we have that was your the 105th edition of the Four Days March, or as I call Netherlands, the Veerdachs of Wandelinge. Okay. Wandeling oh. is a march or, or a walk or whatever. At 4 a.m. sharp, the first walkers started the 150th edition of the Nijmegen Four Days March. Like every year, the walking tour is held from Tuesday to Friday. On the first day, the day of Elst, the walkers walk through Betua. Okay, so this is a article from NOS, which is the National Dutch News Agency. For some time, for some it's the first time. 
Others are already participating for the 39th time. A total of 47,000 people have registered, 6,222 of whom are military personnel. The organization reports about 3,500 people have not picked up their starting ticket, Omroep Gelderland writes. In total, more than 43,300 people start the walking tour. Not a record, according to the broadcaster, but a lot more than last year when almost 38,500 people appeared at the start of the walking event. The average age of the walkers this year is 48.1 years. In 2019, it was 53, and in 2022, it was 49.5. Almost 60% of the participants are male, and just over 40% are female. That is how percentages work. 60 plus 40 equals 100. Uh, more than 17,000 people are taking part in the walking tour for the first time, and, 2020, uh, and 22 people try to reach the finish line in a wheelchair. Not only Dutch people participate in the walking tour, more than 6,800 participants come from 77 different countries, ranging from Afghanistan and Canada to Guinea and Ethiopia. All European countries are represented at least once with a participant from Moldova. The military participants come from 31 different countries. This year, for the first time, a so-called safety car will drive ahead of the participants to the great frustration of fast walkers and wheelchair users. This safety car may not be overtaken. The organization wants to prevent participants who want to finish quickly from ending up in a dangerous situation. Whoever overtakes the car runs the risk of being disqualified. I think it's very childish. They would check the course, not the people, complains a walker at Umrup Gelderland. We decide how we walk. Other participants are also furious. The festivities are held before and during the walking tours already started last Saturday. The four days march were also well attended yesterday. A spokesperson tells ANP News Agency that three locations of the parties became full, but that may many people still managed to get a spot. Compared to the weekend, it was rather busy in the center of Nijmegen yesterday, especially because walkers came to collect their starting permit. Among other things, the performance of the Snolabolikas Okay, that is not translated. It doesn't have a translation, so attracted many good. people. <laughs> According to the spokesman, the evening was busy but fun and went without any significant incidents. Last year, the four days march marches was shortened by one day due to the heat. Tuesday was canceled because it was 37 degrees that day. It was the first edition since Corona when the event was halted for two years. So, there you go. The four days march, everyone's more than a hundred years of people just walking from one place to another in a casual stroll, and I guess some people are speed walking and they're very angry about the, the rally car, but other than that, it's begun. Start walking. Walk until you see the sunset, I guess. Walk until the planet burns. Yeah. <laughs> You're free to go, sir. That's the end of my article. All right, and not so good news Tuesday, good Tuesday day, or good anything. Wildfires burn homes near Greek capitals. Residents flee. This is from Reuters. Stelios Masanas and Lefteris Papadimus. This is in Greece. Two wildfires fanned by strong strong winds raged uncontrolled through coastal towns near Athens on Monday, forcing residents 
to flee their homes and prompting the evacuation of hundreds of children from summer camp. The blaze that broke out in the village of Kovaris, about 20 kilometers southeast of the Greek capital, spread fast among erratic winds, a Greek fire service official said. A Reuters witness said at least five houses were severely damaged by the fire, which also tore through the seaside residential area of Lagonisi, a popular summer resort. Police helped evacuate more than 100 citizens in the wider area. Dozens of horses were evacuated in trucks as the flames reached stables in the nearby areas of Calivia and Anavisos. Anavisos. Due to the high winds, the blaze spread across 12 kilometers in two hours. Greek fire service spokesman, uh, here we go with more names, Ionis Astropolis told a televised briefing, adding the police had detained a person suspected of arson. More than 200 firemen assisted, 20 soldiers, 60 fire, eight fire engines, eight, 10 aircraft, and six helicopters were fighting the flames. Coast Guard boats were patrolling along the coast to help evacuate citizens if needed. And more vessels were on standby in case they needed to intervene. About 1,200 children in summer camp and residents of Rehabilitation Center were evacuated due to another wildfire burning close to the, sea, so, the seaside resort town of Lotaki, about 50 miles west of Athens, a local mayor told Greek television. About 135 firemen, 50 engines, 40 soldiers, and 13 aircraft, and many deployed to contain that blaze, which forced the police to shut part of the highway, shut on part of the highway, and disrupted train services. A third fire broke out this afternoon. In the afternoon, it was burning in a forest about 30 kilometers north of Athens, in the area of Devon, Devonotoria. Authorities said they were battling 81 blazes in total across the country on Monday with the biggest fronts near Athens and were bracing for more fires on Tuesday due to soaring temperatures and strong winds. Tuesday will also be a very difficult day. There's a very high risk for fires, adding that the strong winds will persist, said Atropoios. Wildfires are common in in Greece in the summer, but a dry winter has created tinderbox conditions. Greece's recently re-elected Prime Minister Kyriakos Mistakis, on a trip from the Leaders' Summit to Brussels, said that he's been constantly briefed over the fires which attribute to all climate change. He urged citizens to follow civil protection rules. Today was the first really tough days of summer. It is certain that more will follow. We've had, we have, and will have fires, which is also one of the results of climate crisis that we experience with increased intensity, he said. The Greek Meteorological Service has warned of a high risk of fire this week, just as the country is recovering from the first major heat wave of the summer. A second heat wave is forecast to affect the Mediterranean nation later this week. Grace still has memories of a wildfire disaster in 2018 when a blaze killed 101 people in the seaside town of Mati, east of Athens. There's your story from Greece as Athens is getting involved in smoke.
I was muted. I'm sorry. Okay, let's start it again. In construction industry news, we have from Julia Kolewa. Bricklayers and plasters and other construction jobs have been added to the government's shorted occupation list, making it easier for foreign builders to come to Britain amid labor shortages partly caused by Brexit. The UK government has relaxed visa restrictions for a number of sectors that face severe worker shortages and has added bricklayers and masons, roofers and roof tilers and slaters, carpenters and joiners, plasters and other construction workers to the list. That's a lot of different types of construction workers. Finishing jobs have also been added to the list. The Home Office said that they would add aid the delivery of key national infrastructure and stimulate growth for related industries. Those working in a shortage occupation can be paid 80% of the job's going rate and still get skilled worker visa and benefit from a lower application fee. Applicants needed need to be sponsored <laughs> applicants need a sponsored job offer from an employer and must meet English language requirements. The Independent Migration Advisory Committee recommended in March that construction workers be added to the shortage occupation list. The list already includes care workers, engineers, web designers, and laboratory technicians, along with healthcare roles. This allows employers to recruit staff from abroad on salaries as low as €14,880 pounds for senior care workers and from £15,120 for lab technicians. With this new move, Rishi Sunak faces a further backlash from the conservative MPs after making promises to reduce immigration. Well, that's... They're just my... It's migration, not immigration. Haha, <laughs> tricked ya. Conservative governments have promised since 2010 that they would cut net migration. Overall migration into the UK reached a record of 606,000 last year up 24% on the previous year, while the back level of asylum cases is also at an all-time high. Maybe leaving the EU was a bad decision. Just an idea. If you wanted to reduce migration, but they didn't, they wanted to reduce anybody coming to the country, right? They were like, nobody's allowed to come here. We're a safety island. No Europeans either. Just us British people who are actually Germanic and don't also come from <laughs> also don't come from here. Uh, Britain's construction industry has long battled worker shortages, but Brexit has worsened the gaps as EU citizens can no longer come to work in the UK without visas as before. Many EU workers returned to their home countries during the COVID-19 pandemic. Susan Nicole, the chief executive of Build UK, said it is vital that construction is able to fill vacancies and quickly address shortages around particular roles. So we welcome the news that five occupations will be added to the shortage occupations list, which will help the industry continue to deliver the schools, homes, hospitals, and infrastructure that we need. However, Sir John Hayes, a former minister and ally of the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, told the Daily Telegraph that the government should be training up the British workforce instead. You can't train people who don't want to work. Just saying. Not saying British people don't want to work, but they don't want to do the jobs. If they wanted to do the jobs, they would be there and say, hey, hire me for that construction job. They don't want to do that. No, they want to get paid more than what immigrants work for. Yeah. So right. that's kind of the problem with reducing the, the salary, for sure. Anyways, up to your... Uh, up to your next uh, next story here. Improving the lighting here, hopefully. Um, it's fine. Yeah. Get the sun out of my eyes. Okay, and then two good 
It was Newsday in Columbia. Deforestation fell 26% in Amazon last year. Why? Because reconciliation with rebels. After the first year, this is uh, from Good, Good News Network, Andy Corbley. After first ever left-wing presidential administration took charge in negotiating permanent peace with socialist FARC rebels, Colombia's forests are feeling the effects of 26% reduction in deforestation in the conflict areas. These dense, biodiverse rainforests that are part of the Amazon in places, and independent of it in others, have been one of the many victims of the country's civil war. However, President Gustavo Petro is conducting peace negotiations that put the environment first with about 20 splinter factions of the FARC guerrillas who have responded positively. De facto leadership in the conflict areas in the forest state of Guavare has has instituted its own deforestation moratorium and the estimated 50,000 hectares of rainforest have been saved as a result. This is really dramatic, conservationist Rodrigo Botero told The Guardian, is the highest reduction in deforestation of forest fires that there has been in two decades. The Guardian recently covered these peace negotiations alongside a delegation from Norway, which included that country's environment minister, Espen Barth Eide, maybe, E-I-D-E. What I'm hearing, seeing and feeling in these meetings is that there is an enhanced understanding that you cannot build a new Columbia on the basis of further deterioration of nature. So you have to find an economic, social, political and inclusive process that's more respectful towards nature than before, Barth told the English paper. Often flying under radar when compared with his neighbor Brazil, Colombia is the second most biodiverse country on earth and the most biodiverse in terms of bird life. It is the 25th highest country in the world for Forest Integrity's index score and boasts twice as many square miles of high, high intact, I'm sorry, highly intact forest than of poorly intact forest, almost all of which resides in the conflicted states of Amazonia, Caqueta, and Putumayo. It is the petrol government can really put the brakes on the conversion of forests into pasture land or cattle. It will be helping save one of the most valuable tropical forest ecosystems in the world. So, Colombia, Colombia, making their forest stay forest. Your story. Yeah, because we need those trees. Well, at least Colombia does. As, yeah. You know, remove, remove their carbon. <laughs> Okay, in culture news, the real deal. Young UK graphic artist nominated for five comic book Oscars. The unflinchingly depicting her battles with depression, Zoe Thorogood, a 24-year-old from Bradford, has scooped most nomination for this week's Eisner Awards. She's young, she's talented, and she's being heralded as the future star of her industry, and yet, you have probably never heard of her. This is from David Baronet on The Guardian. But this week, 24-year-old Zoe Thorogood from Bradford will head to San Diego to the comic book equivalent of the Oscars, the Eisner Awards. She is nominated in five categories, more than any other seasoned professional in her sector. I remember someone saying, she's the future of comics. 
And he couldn't have been more right, says Lisa Wood, an artist who works under the name Tula Latoy and the co-founder of the annual Yorkshire comic convention, Thought Bubble. Her work is incredible. I have no doubt she's going to walk away with all those award awards. The world of comics, British or otherwise, is famously male-dominated. It's notoriously challenging to break through the mainstream. Those who have made it to the top of the, their profession include Neil Gaiman, author of Sandman and Good Omens, both of which have been adapted for television, and Garth Ennis, writer of Preacher and the Boys, also both adapted to a successful TV series. Thoroughgood's body of work might be relatively small. Two graphic novels, one autobiographical, It's Lonely at the Center of the Earth, and one not, The Impending Blindness of Billy Scott. But the impression she has made on the industry is already big. While Billy Scott, about a young artist who discovers she's going blind as she starts to gain some success, but throw her good a lot of attention, it was It's Lonely that cemented her grow growing reputation among readers and the comic industry. It is an unflinchingly stark and personal story of her own battles with depression, depicted as a grinning monster following her around and her suicidal thoughts. But it's also funny and life-affirming as it documents how creating comments pretty much saved her life. Last September, Thoroughgood posted on Twitter, a Twitter on Twitter, a panel from the comic with a self-deprecating message: "Where is my Eisner?" Fast forward to this May, and the Eisner judging panel named Thoroughgood in their Best Writer Artist category and Best Graphic Memoir categories for its lonely and its Best Painter Multimedia Artist Interior Art, Best Adaption for Another Medium, and Best Cover Artist for Rain, an adaption of a horror novella by Joe Hill. Then she just tweeted in response to the news, uh, followed by. I'm not expecting to win any of these bastards, but just to be nominated means the world. Chris Ryle, the co-founder of Sigzy Comics, which published Rain, says there was nothing. There was something so raw and powerful about Zoe's work in her first graphic novel that displayed that rarity in comics. Some someone's really just getting started making comics, but who's already had her own unique style and also showed a clear understanding of the language of comics too. More to the point, she seemed to have an innate sense of what rules to break to tell a story her way, and not by, be fenced by established conventions, which I find incredibly admirable, more more rare than you might think. She also has designed for Marvel a character called Spider UK, a British version of Spider-Man, as part of its Spider-Verse multi multiple universes concept. But it was only in 2019, aged barely 20, that Thorogood thought about turning her love of comics into a career. Shy and anxious, she attended a comics event in London organized by US publisher Image. She showed her portfolio and was invited to a dinner of comic creators where she met Kieran Gillen, a British writer who also worked extensively for Marvel on titles including Avengers and X-Men. Gillen said she wasn't quite what she is now, but she has al had already metabolized 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 a bunch of influ influences into a style and approached the page with the mixture of glamour groundedness and real macabre energy she was clearly the real deal it was a real guitarist walks into a bar makes the old hacks jaw drop moment wow they're really hyping her up apparently on the way to the pub i called her the future of comics i probably shouldn't have as it's sort of the thing that gets someone under someone's skin, and in my defense, I was right, at least then. 
Now Zoe's not the fu- not the future of comics. She's the present of comics, and people need to catch up. So there you go. Keep an eye out for for Zoe. Uh, what was her last name again? Zoe Thorogood, and her incredible Thorogood. work that you've never seen before. She's synthesized George. so many different art styles that you'll be incredibly impressed. Um, and uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Thorogood. She's related to George Thorogood. I don't know if you know what that is. George Thorogood and the Delaware Destroyers. Yeah, I'm not sure, but uh. They sing bad to the bone. Bad to the bone. Bad. Is she bad to the bone? Anyway, this is this day in history from Encyclopedia Britannica. In 1195, the Almohads were victorious over the forces of King Alfonso VIII in Castile in the Battle of Alarcos. Okay. And jumping way forward, in 1811, English novelist William Markpeace was born in India. In 1817, English novelist Jane Austen died in Winchester, Hampshire at the age of 41. I didn't know she died so young. The series author of, author of Sense, and Se- Sense and Sensibilities and Pride and Prejudice. She loved that stuff. Oh, yeah, Jane 19- Austen, very famous. She's so famous that she has her own genre. They just call it the Jane Austen genre. Right. But she only got to be 41. 1918. French General Ferdinand Folk, F-O-C-H, landed a countryside, land, launched a countryside, oh, let's try this again, launched a counter-strike, or a countryside, <laughs> that forced the Germans into a hasty retreat during the Second Battle of Marne in the last German offensive of World War One. In 1921, John Glenn, the first U.S. astronaut to orbit Earth, was born in 1921 in this day so he would be 102 actually the oldest person to go into space also so 1927 well unless they broke that recently 1927 american baseball player ty cobb collected his 4,000th career hit 1944 allied forces captured the french town of saint louis saint louis a vital communication center during World War II. In 1976, the uneven parallel bars, Nadia Comaneci of Romania became the first gymnast to be awarded a perfect score of 10 in an Olympic gymnastic event. In, in 2013, Detroit submitted a claim for Chapter 9 bankruptcy and the largest such filing for U.S. city ever. And uh, the signature event today, uh, Hitler wrote his, published his Mein Kampf today in 1925. Well, good for him. Okay. Feature biography. Born birthday today is Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela turns 105. Born on this day in 1918. Uh, also born this day, 1975, MIA, born born. British-born Sri Lankan rapper, M.I.A. I hope that stands for something besides missing in action, because be, that would be a... stand for that. I would... I, it's just rapper, so... It stands for something else, I hope. Van Diesel 
Vin Diesel is born this day, and his brother Van also. He has twin brother, little known twin brother Van Diesel, who drives a van. No, Vin Diesel is born in this day in 1967. Richard Branson, British eccentric entrepreneur, is born in this day in 1950. 1937, Hunter S. Thompson was born, crazy gonzo journalist. In 1927, Kurt Mazur, jewelry conductor, was born. And what day is it today? Well, let's see. Hmm, we got a bit of a list here. It's National Sour Candy Day. He doesn't love that. Hmm, make them faces. National Tropical Fruit Day. So get your sour tropical fruit. Kill two birds with one stone. And it's National Mandela Nelson Mandela International Day because it's his birthday. It's National Caviar Day, so there you go. Have some of them sturgeon eggs, and it's also World's Listening Day. So if you're into listening, shut your mouth. And that's what days are today. All right. Well, then this has been Allison here from the Netherlands. Not walking for four days because I'm lazy, and oh no! We will see you on Wednesday for some more wacky news and less fires, hopefully. Less Nesman, and this is Roger United States saying goodbye and farewell for another day on July eighteenth, twenty twenty-three edition of Before Buffy. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels: Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.